James chapter 3, hear the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Almost exactly 32 years ago, in... Glen Burnie, Maryland, the church set me apart as a minister of the gospel. In our circles, also called a teaching elder. They laid their hands on me, the other elders, and they commissioned me to be a teacher in the church. I invited Dr. Ray Dillard, one of my Old Testament professors, to preach at my ordination service. And he chose this text, and he called his sermon, Texts That Terrify, Part 2. Because it begins with, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I don't remember much about what Dr. Dillard said that day, but I do remember the experience of being a bit terrified, as he said, and as I come to this text again, I feel the weight thereof, as it starts with this warning 
that not many should be teachers. But this chapter isn't only for teachers, because you'll see that very quickly he begins to talk about all Christians and all humans, and why? Because humans, uniquely, as it is, uh, among earthly creatures, humans are the only ones who use speech. That's something that distinguishes us from all the other creatures that live on the face of the earth. And yes, they have their, their communication. And even as amazing as some of that communication is among animals, it doesn't hold uh, anything in comparison to the marvel of human speech. Now, teaching in the church presents opportunities sometimes for recognition and for advancement in some circles, sometimes for fame, sometimes for uh, increased income. And so, there is a temptation for some to rush into teaching because they think that they will get certain benefits out of it. Now, historically, beginning a teacher in the church was more likely to bring you uh, persecution and martyrdom But now in the West, it has become a road to comfortable living sometimes. And so people can move into teaching for the wrong reasons. After all, the teacher gets to stand before a group of others who remain silent and listen to the teacher for however long the teacher teaches. But I want to say that more than recognition or advancement, you know what the primary benefits are to being a teacher in the church? Getting to study the Bible and tell others about it. I get to spend a week studying this text, and I get to study, uh, I get to spend a lifetime studying this book, and then I take a little bit of what I studied during the week, and I get to tell you about it. And then I get to go out and tell other people who don't know about Christ, I get to talk to them about the marvels of what he has done. That's the real benefit. Apart from any sort of recognition or advancement, that's the payoff for the teacher. That the teacher gets to learn and gets to communicate God's Word. But teachers and potential teachers should understand that with privilege comes responsibility. And James very soberingly says, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Because our words affect other people's lives. They guide the whole church. And that's why there's this greater responsibility. And teaching in the church is fraught with danger because all of us, James included, stumble. We stumble in many ways. That's what he says here. Here he begins to generalize. He talks about teachers in verse 1, and then in verse 2 he says, for we all, he's including himself, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. He says, we have to admit, we teachers have to admit, James includes himself, all of us stumble, all of us fall, and we all stumble in what we say. And when the teacher stumbles, that's especially dangerous for everyone else. And he says, actually, if there were a person who was able to not to stumble, but to be perfect in his speech, that would be a perfect person. Somebody able to to keep his whole self, his whole body in check. 
And the reason is because our words guide the direction of our lives. Look at the different illustration he uses here. He talks about horses and he talks about ships. And he's saying this, this little member, this little piece guides the direction of one's life. What is that which guides our lives? He said our tongues guide our lives. Our tongues, the way we use our speech, that guides how we experience life. And if we could control our speech, then our life would follow that. I saw that in a very simple and uh, minor way today. At three in the morning, I was wide awake. And then I saw Sandy's cell phone come on because she was checking the time. I don't know if she woke me up or I woke her up. And I said, what time is it? And she said, three. And then we spent the rest of the night trying to find that comfortable position. And I don't think either of us actually ever found that. And at six, the alarm clock went off. And I was tempted to make a comment about last night's sleep. And that would have started my day. If I would have said, oh, that was terrible. I wasn't able to get back to sleep and I had bad dreams and I I just was dreading that alarm clock going off. That would have started my day. But I stopped myself and I said three words or four words. (laughs) This is the day. This is the day. And in our family, that shorthand, we don't talk a whole lot when we get up, that shorthand for the psalm that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So that's how we started our day. I said, this is the day, and that's all I had to say. And Sandy said, indeed, this is the day. And that started our day, and it's been a great day. Why has it been a great day? Because of the words with which we were able to start the day. We bridle our whole selves by controlling our tongues. And a human speech has the, the power to do great good. He uses these illustrations, and these are, first of all, positive illustrations. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, he, he, do you remember how, as I said it from the beginning, James likes to use catchwords? And he uses a word, and then he picks up on that word, and he, 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 he goes into another idea that reminds him, that word reminds him of. It says here in verse 2, it says, where the perfect man is able to bridle his whole body. And then he says, if we put, literally it says it's a similar word, if we put bridles into the mouths of horses, we know that the part of the bridle is the bit, and that's why it's translated bit, but he's, he's playing on that word bridle here. He says, if we put bridles in the mouths of horses, we get to control these amazing creatures, these strong creatures, and we're able to harness their power for good. And then he says, think about ships. Ships are enormous. They're driven by strong winds. And what determines their direction? A little rudder. And the rudder looks like a tongue. And maybe that's the connection here. And that, that rudder guides the whole ship. And so human speech is, is powerful to accomplish great good, to harness forces that are bigger than we are and, and make wonderful things happen. Virtually every great human endeavor has taken place because of human speech. That's how we humans accomplish things. That's how we, we, we have success. That's how we, we conquer. That's how we advance. We do so by speech. But, sadly, every disastrous 
human effort also is caused by speech. Every war has been caused by speech. And every peace agreement has been affected by speech. Every marriage has been brought about by speech. And every divorce has been brought about by speech. Every happy family is formed with speech. And every unhappy family is formed with speech. Speech is what controls our existence for good or for evil. And then he goes into quite a list of uh, description about the dangerous and the, the evil that speech can accomplish. And he, he says, the tongue is a small member in verse 5, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And then he goes on with image after image, uh, sounding more and more like an Old Testament prophet here. And he, he says that the, the tongue is a fire. Verse 6, the world of unrighteousness. It's, it stains our beings. It sets on fire the entire course of our life. And then he says it's hellish. It's set on fire by hell. And then he says it's untamable. He says we have, we have been able to tame every kind of bird and of reptile and of sea creature. Every kind of beast. We've tamed it and it has been tamed. But no human being can tame the tongue. He says it's a restless evil, full of deadly poison, and that's an image that comes from the Old Testament. And then he says it's duplicitous. He says it's amazing. In one breath, we can be here in church, and we can be singing God's praises together, and then the service ends, and we can speak ill of another human being. And he says this is, this is something that is unparalleled in nature. We don't find this sort of product in nature. We don't find a saltwater spring producing fresh water, a freshwater spring producing salt water. We don't find vines producing figs or fig trees producing vines. But we find the human tongue being used to praise God and then to curse humans who are made in the likeness of God. And he says, this should not be. This doesn't happen in the universe except in the mouths of humans, this contradiction, this, this duplicity, this dual product. Now, this, uh, this should give us pause as we think about this power of the tongue. And let me, let me just invite you to do a thought experiment with me to, to realize how difficult it is to, to bridle our tongues, how untamable. Think about spending one day one day, without grumbling, criticizing, making excuses, slandering others, shading the truth in any way, shifting the blame, discouraging, being cuttingly sarcastic, joking about others, bragging, comparing yourself to others, fishing for compliments, using profanity or vulgarity, Raising your voice unnecessarily, using God's name in vain, being rude, or answering before you listen. Think about a whole day without doing any of those things. Sound difficult? Actually, there's one way to do that. Take a vow of silence for the day. That's one surefire way of doing that. And sometimes I think that when I've said something particularly hurtful to somebody, I think... I'm just going to stop speaking. If I can cause this much damage with my tongue, I shouldn't say anything. But that's not an option either. 
because God has given us our tongues to practice other things. So think about this. A whole day without doing those things, but instead using every breath we have, every time we cause our our vocal cords to vibrate in order to, to pray, to encourage, to sing, to praise, to give thanks, to admit our fault, to evangelize, to instruct, to counsel, to admire, to ask others how they are, to make peace, to reconcile, to ask for forgiveness, and to grant forgiveness to others. Well, if that seems like a tall or even impossible order, then we've understood James well. He says, it's untamable. That's not attainable by humans. And the problem is not the tongue. The problem is the human heart. You see, we tend, when we say something wrong... We tend to try to distance ourselves from that. We say things like, oh, that was a slip of the tongue, like it happened to me. Uh, Or we say something like, I can't believe I said that, as if to say, I'm not really like that, and somehow that just came out. But you see, that's to duck responsibility, isn't it? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we find a problem with our tongues, we need to dig deeper. Instead of saying, I can't believe I said that, we need to say something like this. What's in my heart? What's in my heart that that came out of my mouth? And now we're getting to where we can really deal with the problem. And James, as you have heard, is mostly negative here about the tongue, but there are a couple details that I want to show you in this text that is generally bleak, but there are a couple details in here that give us hope if we find problems in our heart. If you look at verse 8 again, it says this, But no human being contained the tongue. No human being contained the tongue. Now, he doesn't say this directly, and James is often indirect in in some of the things he says, and he he points us, he gestures in the direction of of the hope, of the solution. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. So if the tongue is to be tamed, it is not going to be a human being who tames the tongue. Who can tame the tongue? Well, James is saying, no human being can do it, so look to the one who made the tongue. Look to the one who made the heart. Look to God. He is the only one who can tame the tongue. In another text, it was uh, not talking about the tongue, it was talking about wealth. Uh, And and the the apostles, the uh, disciples were amazed because Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to... To, uh, to reach the kingdom of heaven. And they were, they were shocked because they thought the rich people were the ones that were first in line because they were so blessed, apparently, by God. And they said, well, who can be saved? And he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's the same message here. So if we despair of being able to, to tame our hearts and tame our tongues, that's exactly right. We need help outside of ourselves. 
God is the one that can tame our hearts. God is the one that can give us new hearts. God is the one that can enable us to tame our tongues. That's the first hint of where we're going to get help. But there's another hint in here as well. If you look at what he says in verse 3, he says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, what he's gesturing at here is that if somebody doesn't, not gesturing at, he's stating that if somebody doesn't sin in what he says, that's a perfect man. And so, if we could find someone, a man, who never spoke ill, who never used his tongue in an improper way, but always used his tongue in the proper way, we would have our perfect man, and that man could help us. And in fact, we have one. The whole New Testament and the whole Bible is written to point us to that man. One of his best friends who spent day and night with him for three years. Peter, namely. Peter, by the way, who often said things that were out of place and got himself in trouble. But Peter, who spent three years constantly with Jesus, said this, He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Amazing. Peter had listened to this man for three years. And what did he say? We have our perfect man. We have the one who's able to bridle his tongue and so bridle his life, control his entire life. So what do we have? James is, is, is giving us hints to help us out here. We know that if we're going to have a tamed tongue, we need to have a changed heart. In order to have a changed heart, we need to cry out to God. But how can we go to God in our sin with these tongues that are so polluted? What can we do? They need to be changed by the One who never spoke ill. They need to be changed by the perfect One. Do you remember back in Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. He had a a devastating experience. He was in the temple and he had this vision of God. And the angels were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And Isaiah, who was an upright man in his day, but Isaiah cried out and he said, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King. And then one of these angelic creatures flew to the altar, took, took with tongs a coal from the altar and came and he cauterized Isaiah's lips and then he sent him out to speak God's Word to the people. That's what we need to happen to us. We need to have our hearts cleansed. We need to have our lips cleansed. We need to be forgiven and we need to be changed. Who can do that? That perfect man. That perfect man, Jesus, a text in Timothy that Paul wrote to Timothy said, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we need a perfect mediator, and that's what we have. The one who never spoke ill, but always spoke well. The perfect man, who is God Himself, who gave His life for sinners and rose from the dead, so that we... Even we could be cleansed and forgiven and changed and tamed. Now in that regard, James goes on 
And sometimes it's hard to figure out in James where one section stops and another starts, but it seems that this flows along. Because we come to the end of verse 12 and we realize that there's a problem and we need help. And then in verse 13, James points us to one of his other favorite themes, wisdom. Wisdom. And he says, who is wise? Who is understanding among you? And he then describes two types of wisdom. Do you remember last week, James described two types of faith? He described dead faith that accomplishes nothing. And he described real faith in Jesus that brings salvation and change to people's lives. And now he describes two types of wisdom. A false type of wisdom and a true type of wisdom. He describes the true type of wisdom. He says that it's it's meek and it is shown in good works. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then he launches into a denunciation of false wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder and every vile practice. Then back to the true wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's the flow here? We've seen that we often are not wise in our speech. We're seeing that we need God's forgiveness and we see that we need His power. In a word, we need His wisdom. We need to call out to Him for that wisdom, that true wisdom that comes from Him and Him alone. How many of you can remember words that were spoken to you years or decades ago that still hurt? How many of you can remember words that were spoken to you years or decades ago that still cheer and cause you joy? How many of you can remember words that you spoke years or decades ago the effects of which have not been healed in that person's life yet? Or how many of you can remember a kind word that you spoke years or decades ago and the person will never cease to be grateful that you spoke that word to him or her? Well, in just a few minutes, I'm going to stop talking. The teacher's going to sit down and then you are going to have an amazing opportunity. You are going to get to turn to other human beings, other believers in Jesus Christ, and you are going to get to form some words. And those words that you speak may be echoing in that person's heart and life 20, 30 years from now. Yes, that's the power that you are about to wield. That's the power that we wield every day. So let's choose our words wisely with a wisdom 
that comes from God through that perfect man, Jesus Christ, who is Himself the Word who became flesh. Let's pray. Our God, thank You for giving us the gift of speech. Lord, we can't imagine existence without it. Humanity would not be humanity without speech. We thank You that You've given us this gift that is so powerful. But we recognize that we often wield it carelessly and hurtfully. And we need Your forgiveness. And so we come to You in the name of Jesus, the perfect One, the only Mediator, the One who gave Himself for sinners with sinful speech. And we ask for forgiveness once again, and we also ask for taming. Change our hearts, O God. Give us this wisdom in our hearts so that what flows out of our mouths are Your words. Lord, we pray that You would make us conscious of what we're saying, that we would not use this great gift recklessly, but that we would wield it for great good. And that tomorrow, the next day, a year from now, or 50 years from now, words that we say would still be a blessing to others. And we pray this in the name of the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen.